I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town Podcast. In episode 125 of the Food About Town Podcast, I had Chris Spinelli from Rock Brewing over to the studio, and we talked all about, you know, rock brewing and local beer all at the same time. It was a really interesting conversation, and this was recorded a while back. Uh, I generally apologize for not posting much during this summer. It's been quite busy for me personally. And I have a bunch of really nice interviews recorded that I just haven't posted. Let me just go down the list real quick so you guys can uh, get ready for what's coming next. I'm actually prepping things and have a bunch of episodes ready to go. Uh, I've got Jane Millman from 585. I've got Giuseppe Baciulio from Fiamma. Uh, Joe Zolnirowski from Nosh. Uh, Art Rogers. Uh, some with my buddy from Boston. Uh, Chris Carlson. Um, Quinn Sturge, a home, local home brewer. I've got Stoneyard coming up. So I got a lot of good stuff coming up in the next few weeks. So generally, I just wanted to thank everybody for sticking around. If you're listening to this, I apologize. Generally, it's been a it's been a very long summer. So I'm back, and that's really all I have to say. So anything that in here is a little bit dated, I again I apologize. But I really enjoyed this. I listened to it you know, a few weeks ago. I thought it was still completely relevant. And I would highly recommend going to check out Rock Brewing if you haven't been there before, uh, right off of Union Street, uh, just south of East Ave. And check out one of the um, one of the originators of the uh, new craft movement here in Rochester. So thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, um, let Rock Brewing know on social media and tag me uh, at Stromy on Instagram. Food About Town on Facebook and Twitter. And if you so choose, go to the Rochester City newspaper, vote for all your favorites. Um, I'm not necessarily going to say vote for me. It's been a bit of a lean year, but at the same time, this is a great time to get your voice heard no matter who you're voting for. So um, thanks again and enjoy this interview with Chris Spinelli from Rock Brewing. First guest in the podcast room after it's been painted a, I don't know, a jaunty green, I'd say. I'm not sure what, what to define that color as. You know, depending on the light, you've got a little bit of grass, summery green to a more dark kind of comfortable green. I like it. Yeah, I like I, it. It's it's a nice look. I feel, it's green. I feel good. Yeah. yeah. It, fe- it feels better to me. Yeah. It, it came as a color when I got the house and now... 
it feels like my color now. It feels like it feels like I made this room a little bit. Yeah, take a little ownership of it. Yeah, yeah we finally been... painted our first room in two years of living in our house. So three. Yeah, there you Over go. Over three See? years. Yeah, <laughs> takes a little while. Yeah, exactly. So my guest today is Chris Spinelli from Rock Brewing. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming over because we've been on and off talking for, geez, what, two or three years now? Yeah. yeah like we have. here here and there. Just like just like a lot of places, it's hard to talk to everybody all the time. But uh our startup, frankly, for a while, we were coming in pretty much like every every Tuesday night for an hour. Now we actually work longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> work longer instead of going to rock, which we do miss. We still talk about it. Um, we'll definitely come on back. We and, miss you. And bingo we, on and Tuesday nights now. Bingo. Every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. Really? Yeah. So bingo, how does that go? Um, so I announced bingo and it's a, uh, it's a funny little crowd that we get, uh, for a couple of years now. My uh, mother, Patty has been asking us to do bingo and we did it in the first couple of weeks. They had some success. So we've kept it around and it's a totally different crowd than you expect. Yeah. That's yeah. a really so. All right, now I've now I have lots of questions about bingo. Yep. We're going at a complete tangent. So one, obviously, the crowd you'd expect would be older. A little bit. A little bit. Okay. A little bit. Interesting. For sure. So the skills of being a quality bingo announcer. What have you learned? The things I've learned. Yes. First and foremost, you have to have a different bingo voice. I have a totally different bingo voice. Okay. And so my one, wife laughs her ass off at Okay. So one, we need to hear said bingo voice. If you can do it. I mean, if sometimes I, yeah, you have to you know, be in the funny, environment. You kind of got to be in the environment at the time. But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it just kind of comes out of nowhere where you're getting ready. And all righty, everyone. It's time for bingo. Let's get a B11, the chicken legs. Oh Our my. favorite, Nick, loves the chicken legs. Oh, my God. So, uh, you I'm, know, we, we have some fun with it. I am very excited now because that's like that kind of thing because I, I saw you get your game show on for a second there. Yep. And the more, <laughs> the more I do like voiceovers and things like that when I do, I've been do, I did some commercials recently and I was messing around and I tried to be more energetic and it's weird in your head. You you sound like you think you're so over the top. Yep. And then you hear it recorded, and it sounds just just ener- just good energy. Right. You forget how it feels so big when you're doing it in your head. It feels ridiculous. And then you hear like, oh, this is what people do all the time. Uh huh. It was tiring, by the way. It was right, and it's <laughs> it's funny too because we spend a lot of times laughing. We we need to work. We need to go to a bingo hall. Oh yeah, and learn the actual bingo lingo from the pros. From the pros, yeah. Uh, but we have some. We have some regular ones that are just ridiculous. And at this point, we get some laughs. We get some. Oh my god, he did it again. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you paid for this. You came back for this. Yeah. Um, you know, you win a free beer. And so, you know, we didn't get the stampers because drunk people and stampers not a good idea. No, um, I mean, you got nice tables in there. You don't want those things yeah, stamped up. Yeah, but I got the little chips every Wednesday going around picking those up. All oh, the little red plastic oh, chips? Yeah, Are yeah. they the clear ones? We got the little clear blue, purple, oh. green, red, and orange. Oh, so wow. Look at you. rainbow. So. Nice. Yeah. See, now this is now the bingo cast. I know, right? This you never cool. knew. You never knew it was going to be that. That's a really interesting one because... And one of the things that, you know, Rock Brewing does well, you guys have a lot of different events and you bring in a lot of different crowds. So, I mean, I know you do bingo, you do trivia, yep. which is kind of a standard in the craft brewing. Yeah. Every Wednesday night we do trivia. And it's funny, too, because 
you know, we've been doing trivia now for six plus years. Uh, I mean, to the point where Matt Perkins, who does our every Wednesday night for the last four years, he's been there four years doing. Wow. And, and it's. It's crazy, you know, Ryan did it for a couple of years. No, Matt's been on three years. He just celebrated three years. Ryan did it for about a year and a half, too, and I did it for about a year and a half. Um, but we've we've always kept that bingo crowd, I mean, the trivia crowd, even with the influx of a number of other places picking up, Geeks Who Drink came into town, and, you know, they do a lot of different uh, trivia nights. Of course. And yet we still kind of, we've held our crowd. We've held a nice, steady crowd consistently over the last six years of doing it and we love it it's a fun night it we do our own trivia we come up with uh different uh themes every week uh we do three rounds we have a name that tune at the end and matt matt's been the best he really has kept this going and without him i don't think we would have seen the success we've seen over the last couple of years and it's a challenging thing to do well too because the people that take trivia seriously they really take it seriously. The people who are regulars at it, it's a, it's challenging to be good and to make trivia interesting because it can't be too obscure. Right. And it can't be too easy because then you just hate the person doing it. Right. Both ways you hate them. Yeah. And we, we mix it up a little bit with some guest uh, trivia MCs. Some, uh, the Strong Museum comes in regularly for before the Happiest Hour, which we do the Happiest Hour events with them. Because you're in walking distance, basically, to the Strong Museum. We love the Strong Museum. They've been huge support to us and just an amazing partner in that neighborhood. So yeah, we've always tried to do some different stuff and keep keep it fresh. I mean, after eight years, we've we've had to change a lot, especially considering the fact that when we opened up downtown, we were the first brewery with a tap room in downtown Rochester. Well, let's let's take that pivot. One, let's go there. That that was artful. I think I like what you did there. That was smooth because I was going to do it shortly, but you did it for me. I got and you, and I'll take it. <laughs> so, rock brewing, like you said was the first Rochester brewery, the modern Rochester craft brewery, yep. not Genesee. Yes. And when we talk about modern, that kind of started in that, you know, eight to ten years ago range. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rohrbach is kind of the generation before Rock Brewing. Yep. Um, but Rock Brewing is kind of the new generation of craft breweries that, you know, continues to this day as we see it expand out into the different regions of Monroe County and outside the county and everything else. But with you guys opening eight years ago, kind of the start of the modern craft brewing trend here in Rochester, interesting position to be in. It, it really is an interest, interesting position to be in because, you know, we weren't the first. Obviously, you had Roarbox. Yep. You had Empire, right? At one point, opened up downtown and closed. You had... Oh, see, I don't, I don't remember them. Uh, that was that was a, a, a long time ago. Okay. Um, two, early 2000s. You know? Okay. So... So, again, there was a different point. There have been influx, and then there's been some of these losses. And, you know, then if you look at the second wave, we, we're, we're considered in that second wave of craft breweries in Rochester, which first you had um, Naked Dove open up in November of 2010. And I think what, I mean, uh, when we talk about Naked Dove, I, I think people forget how close they are to yeah. Rochester. Yeah. Like, I don't think of them as a Rochester area brewery. Right. It's so funny because Naked Dove, Naked Dove, Three Heads, Rogers, and Rock all okay. opened up between November of 2010 and June of 2011. So we kind of consider ourselves this little weird, you know, second wave family okay. of 
you know, nowadays you wouldn't throw Naked Dove in because there's six breweries in in uh, Candegua. But, like, we opened up at the same time, so we have this affinity for each other. Um, but, yeah, we've all kind of come together now, and you look at it, and we opened up with the tap room, and there wasn't much for a couple of years in terms of, like, Rochester. But now you have 11 breweries downtown Rochester, it's it's a totally different market out there. One also, I mean, let's talk about one. Where's Rock Brewing located? So Rock Brewing is located at 56 South Union Street. We were so smart and totally planned, <laughs> not at all, uh, for the Interloop project. So we're right where all that Interloop project has just happened. So we have a major economic redevelopment happening in front of us um, on Union Street between Monroe Ave and East Ave, and we're really excited to see our neighborhood. The neighborhood we envisioned, you know, we moved into that neighborhood seeing an opportunity for an area that, you know, was just kind of a pass through or just kind of overlooked and but had a lot of potential. And and now we're in the thick of it. So I find one, I find that very interesting because when when it opened that neighborhood, I mean, Union Street was, for lack of a better term, desolate. Yeah, that'd be the best way to put it. I mean, nothing happened on Union Street. People didn't walk down Union no, Street. No, no. I, I, honestly, and I say that that's very true. People did not walk down Union Street because there was very few lights, and true. it was a one-way street that was only really an outlet to get to East Ave. Exactly, and, and people that's the only reason fly by. It. I mean, you're talking 45, 50 miles an hour, just whew, you know, because it was a one-way street off the inner loop and. That's all it was. And it was definitely, it never felt like a place where you'd want to be. And even just with the fact that they, you know, tore down that area and now there's parking on both sides of the street, like it changed the area just completely. Oh. Even though there's not anything else new there. Yeah. Like the if you haven't Skylark been down there, in a while, yeah. it's a little crazy now with all the construction. So they just started construction across the street from us. Oh, okay. New, I haven't seen it. Yeah. On the new apartments and townhouses that are going up. And on the actual museum, they just started the uh, parking garage, which is already pretty much the first stories done. So, yeah, I mean, it's a neighborhood that you can see being built around it. Not to say it wasn't a neighborhood before, but there's more to it. There's the bike path. There's all the new fun little benches and um, bike racks that they have there. And they're building this kind of neighborhood theme to it. And you can drive both ways down it, which is a huge change from a one-way street. Drastic. And it's weird now now that it is that way. It's hard for me to remember almost how it was. Because I'm sure you get used to it pretty quick, being able to go both ways on there. Yeah, for the first couple of weeks, watching trucks go the wrong way down the street was a little scary. <laughs> um, it took some people a little while to figure out that you should not go down the left-hand side, uh, that the yellow uh-huh. divider lines meant that you should stay to the right. See, it's one of those interesting quirks about yeah. the New York State traffic laws. Yeah. That you know, we, in here in New York State, we drive on the right side of the road. Yeah. It's yeah. very interesting. It's very weird. Uh, it took a little <laughs> while. There was definitely some times where you watch stuff and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is going to be an accident. But um, I would say within the first couple of months, yeah, we you just got used to it. You got used to the fact that like this was a totally different traffic pattern that was great. Yeah. So, I mean, I think even if, like you said, if, even if you haven't just been around recently, one, you should swing by. Um, two, I know everybody's worried about parking. Union has lots of parking available, both sides of the street now. Yep. Um, 
The parking meters aren't up yet, so you don't have to pay yet. Oh, at nice. At some point, they will, but after That's... 6 p.m., you're fine. Yep. We have a 30-car parking lot, so you're good. Wait, do you? Yeah, in the back. I had no idea. I know. Idea. Really, seriously, we, we've done a couple social media videos, too, like walking to show people where to park. So if you park behind our building, uh, during the winter, it's a little rough. Yeah. Uh, we have some parking-challenged <laughs> friends, customers, employees. Um yeah. But yeah, you can definitely, uh, we, we have the 30-car parking lot and then a ton of free street parking. There will be a 1,500-car parking garage for the Strong Museum play right there. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, like, there's going to be, you, you won't struggle to find parking. But, I mean, for, for a lot of people, despite the fact that there's generally ample parking all over Rochester, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that people continue to talk about. Um, but you have plenty of parking and now that I know, I will actually use your little parking lot. I had no idea. It's worth I've it. I've been there many times. Yeah, I know. It's it's still shocking. How do we have to just remind people, explain, let them know. I mean, coming off that little one-way Chapman Alley. So, again, yeah. being on a one-way and a one-way was so tough. Right. To now having that major two-way uh, intersection in front of us, it's it's great. So. Yeah. So, you had a friend who lived on Chapman for a long time. And so, I when I used to stop over... I remember we would park on that street mm-hmm. and then we'd walk over um, because that was like, oh, this is a new place. This was a new thing to see that here in Rochester. So, I mean, do you see more foot traffic now or is it, do you see people actually coming into that neighborhood more now that way? Yeah. You know, our traffic has changed a lot. You know, the dynamics have changed. Um, you know, the industry's changing. And so we're still seeing this. The shift of new and regular customers. We do have some neighborhood customers that we see twenty four seven. You know, they, sure. they're great. They love us, and they're there. Um, but we do have a lot of this tourism. Oh, I never knew you guys existed. You know, being so small and and starting off as small as we did, we've always struggled to kind of get out there, find our niche, find the the point where. Oh, hey, we're here. We exist. Not just, oh, I've heard your name, but I've never been, right? Or where are you at? Oh, you're open eight years? Yeah, we're open eight years, and it's it's a little crazy. But, um, yeah, the neighborhood is definitely coming along, and we have some great regulars from there. But I can't wait to see, and I'm terrified all at once, of 600-plus units that are going to come on on the whole entire project right there. Yeah. Within two blocks of us, there's 600 new units. And we're really excited not to just have them there, but more importantly, to make sure that we offer the experience that they want, that that really goes with that neighborhood, that takes that neighborhood to the next level. We've been there. We've invested a lot of time, energy, and money into that neighborhood. And now we want to see that neighborhood reap the benefits and rewards of Hey, there's there's great things to do here already. We don't have to be the first trailblazers here. There's a great brewery here. There's Skylark right up the way, and they've got great food and great little atmosphere. You've also got the the barbershop, the gentleman's barbershop right there. That is always growing. I mean, it's like every time I turn around, they've taken over another portion of that building. Well, it's it's like a staple now. It's like when I ask people where do they get their hair done, that's that is one of the places where people go. Yep. Um, but that's the kind of thing. I mean, it's interesting when I talked to um, talked to Rory Van Groel recently from Ugly Duck. Yep. And he's been struggling through a lot of the same things. Right. With construction around his neighborhood for a while, he didn't have sidewalks. He didn't have, have streets. Steps. I mean, he didn't have anything. Yeah. 
And, you know, that that's def- it was a challenge for him as that went on. Obviously, you have a street that's not going to be torn down along the way, which is kind of nice. Right. You know, we didn't have to deal with the same things Rory did in the sense that ours was the main connector, especially when all the bridges went down. So they had to keep our street open. Yeah. And, you know, we love Rory. We love Ugly Duck. We walk down there regularly to get coffee, and they've, they've always been a great part of our neighborhood. So Absolutely. So we wish them all the best as this continues. I mean... They're getting the first couple of buildings put up right in front of them before anyone else. So yeah, it's great news. I, I I wish them all the best. Yeah, I think it's like I said. This it's an interesting phenomenon because this construction was you know obviously contentious in a lot of ways. What's going up in this area? We're taking out all this stuff. How do we best use this space? And I, I'm gonna find interesting from a personal note. You know, bringing all these people downtown, where are they coming from? Are they just moving out of other neighborhoods to downtown? Are we going to see, you know, shortages elsewhere? I mean, what's what's going to happen? I just find it very interesting to see what the result is. One, I think it should be great for you guys. Yeah. To we, for we people hope. right near yeah. you. Yeah, and you're right. I don't know where they come from. Are they... Uh, like my parents who downsized, are they moving downtown? Uh, certainly you know, happening. Certainly happening. And they're thinking about, you know, they, they definitely want to do that. And, you know, I've met other people who are in the same position. There's a bunch of new exciting businesses downtown. You know, Datto has done so much right. downtown. Um, you know, where do they want to live? This this could be a great new opportunity to experience the city. Um, you really hope there's a diverse mix there because if there isn't, then you aren't guaranteeing success because yeah. you you look at certain neighborhoods that have done very well and other neighborhoods that that haven't had a diverse mix and when they move they all move at once you know and that's 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 tough and and I really want to see the city su- succeed. I've lived in the Rochester area my whole entire life. I love it here. Um, I'm proud to be a part of it. I'm proud to be a part of the brewing scene here. Um, and you want to see success. You don't want to see just unchecked growth and unchecked, hey, development of happiness. This is going to work. You know, let's make sure it does work. Let's yeah. make sure that we we get the best possible kind of setup here. Yeah, because I, I think we've seen more over the past, you know, I'd say two years now, seen a lot more discussion about what's the right way to grow. How are we doing this the right way? So when you're building a neighborhood, having the infrastructure there, having places where people can go, not just putting people in a place. Now saying, hey, we're building these in a neighborhood where you can go to Strong, you can go to Rock, you can go to Skyrock, you can go have this stuff in your walking distance. Go to Hearts, go to Ugly Duck, um, you know, go to the new uh, Richard Reddington restaurant. All this stuff, walk to the Little. Right. That's now a neighborhood. Right. And now you're turning into, oh, oh, we also need green space. So we have to make that work in there too. So we can spend time outside right. and be in and around. And it's it's just been it's been fascinating to see the activism around that pop up over the last at least visibly in the yeah. last two years. Oh yeah. Because maybe I wasn't paying attention before, and that's that's on me. But visibly we're seeing so much more discussion about how do you make a neighborhood a neighborhood? And it's I just I just find it a riddle that's very interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's not just put a bunch of people in 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 a building and that's a neighborhood. It, it, it's the whole entire complex level of it. Uh, you know, they're calling it the neighborhood of play, and they're building all these whimsical, interactive features for from your benches to your street signs to everything, and, and that's what you need. It, it, it's far deeper than 
looking at an area and saying, I can redevelop this. It's I need to redevelop all the infrastructure here. Every form of transportation, every area for green space, area for retail, area for um, actual residents. And, and I need a mix of local and some national. I, I You know, you can't keep pushing out the locals to bring in the chains and the chains can't keep surviving if they're you know not adapting because you know there's different spending and habits and people they want more that i mean it's not necessarily a bad thing to want an experience with what you get and not a cookie cutter and and taking in the feelings of okay i'm buying this product and i want it this way because of this this and that sure so i think what i want to do is let's talk about the tap room as it is today. And then after our break, we'll talk a little bit about your history, where you came from, stuff like that. So every day you have how many offerings on tap at the tap room typically? So we currently now have uh, seven lines. Mm-hmm. And so any given day we'll have seven different beers. Um, we try to keep a couple different can offerings around. So uh, right now we have the IPA. We have uh, the whoop ass, the kick ass, and the IPA coming back out on the 18th. Uh, limited run of the kick ass, and then we try to have a couple different ciders and a couple different wines. So you can come in there and you can get a broad mix of different beers. I mean, right now we've got, I think, two sours on. We have uh, two IPAs. We have our double bock and our lager on. Um, and there's one more I'm missing. We just took off Deck Naps, which was a cream ale that we did with Lucky Hair, which is awesome. We always try to do collaborations. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, Quad Goals is still on, I think, which was a collaboration we did with Resurgence and Wagner Valley. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, that one was a really good one. Um, no, actually, it was just with Wagner Valley. My bad. Um, quad Goals. We actually did Irish Goodbye with Resurgence and Wagner Valley. Um, so yeah, we're, we're constantly updating things. Um, and we, we have a small food menu too, where you can come in, you can get a couple non pizzas. We do some sliders, uh, and some small bites. We're looking to expand the kitchen. You know, that's always been something we want to work on is that experience with the kitchen. Sure. Um, but yeah, we, we have a broad range of beers and there's nothing, there's no one that comes in that can't find something. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because that's something having spent a fair amount of time at the temp room, something that I've always noted and something I always appreciated was that there was, if you wanted to be a, like a beer nerd and say, hey, I just want, you know, the simplest beer, or you just like a simple beer, you always had a lager or a pilsner or something like that on that was interesting. And it wasn't just the basic, it was the basic done really well. Well, we appreciate it because for me, the logarithm and the Smash Pills and the Hellas are some of the best beers we do by far. Yeah. And, and, and Ashley and Nick can say whatever they want, and they, and they probably have a different opinion, but they take so much pride in those beers because they're, they're great. They are very complex, hard to make beers, and yet they're the clean, crisp lagers you're looking for. I mean, the Smash Pills was actually at my wedding. We had it, and... Oh my God, we flew through it. Uh, even the venue said, "We never kick a keg," and you guys kicked the keg at ten fifteen. So I was like, <laughs> I was very proud of that. Well, I imagine you also had some serious 
beer people there. We had some pretty serious beer people there. <laughs> um, you know, even it's funny too because some of our brewers were uh, actually drinking, you know, gin and tonics all night and yeah. stuff, and like you know their own mixed drinks. And the other wedding party kept crashing our our wedding to drink our beer, which is awesome. <laughs> you know, which is so much fun. Um, but you know, the smash pills, it, it's very simple. It's um, bohemian malt, pilsner malt, and it's um, Trek size hops with uh, Pilsner Arkell yeast. And that's it. That's it. And you can't hide anything in there. You can't, you know, overhop it. It's got to be clean, crisp, and cl- and just delicious. And it is. It is something that, you know, it comes out a little big at about 5.9% alcohol. So it's not a small beer. But it really is something that you can approach it, whoever you are. And to understand, one, as... Your non-beer drinker comes in and is like, uh, just you know, give me something, something light. Well, try this and really experience what a beer should taste like. And then to your really craft nerd who's like, wow, that's a really clean Pilsner. You know, that takes a lot of skill. That takes a lot of work. And granted, it's not going to be the beer that's going to be all over untapped as the you know, five-star beer that's the greatest beer ever and you got to have it and it's sure Instagram culture, right? But at the end of the day, it takes a lot of pride and a lot of love for that beer to make sure that it tastes the way it does. Um, and we treat that the same with our lager and our Hellas. And they come out really clean, really crisp. And, man, yeah, I love those beers. See, it's the thing. I, I love seeing that because, for me, when I when I talk about food, those are the kind of passionate things I care about is the simplest, you know, the things that are really down to, did you do everything right? Mm-hmm. Which, for me, when it comes down to, um, when I look at that, the total picture of what you guys offer, there's always a dark on, and it's usually something that's interesting. Not necessarily a ton of adjuncts, but an executed beer, even if it's a lighter porter. Yeah. You know, I've had lighter ABV porters at your place, and it was really nice. Yeah, you know, we we do a broad range. We've got the Mocha Porter. Uh, we do our the Moo, uh, which is a um, swimming milk milk stout. stout. Yeah, and we have our like coming up. We have Midnight Tiki. It's a chocolate brown ale with toasted coconut. You know, we it was literally what do we have sitting around the brewery today, and let's make it. Um, and it's phenomenal. Um, we've done. Uh, Imperial Stout. We have the Dry Irish Stout that's coming out soon. We have a Doppelbach on right now that is that's phenomenal. The Hollerbach. Well, it's it's also not a style that people really go into as much. I mean, obviously Jenny's been pushing it. They do, they do their version, which is very popular. Yeah, and it's great to see you know say hey, this is our interpretation of of a Bach or Doppelbach. Yeah, to say hey, this is this is what we're doing with it. And if you've tried this, we'll try this one and see what see what you like about it. Yeah, exactly. And in we we try to add complexity, but but a broad range too. I mean, don't get me wrong. We can put down we can the whoop ass the IPA. We can pump it out all day every day. People love it. We can do a hazy IPA. You know, we do them a lot, and people like them, and they go crazy for them while they're there. But at the same time, we get people coming in like. Where's your sours? Bring those. Where's your sours back? Where's your pale ale series? Well, and also it's also the creativity that goes into those sours because, you know, again, since I've had a number of them, you guys always it's always a bit diverse. It's not just one kind. It's not hey, you know, we're doing a straight goza. We're doing just just this, but it's hey, we're doing a sour with 
you know, we're doing peaches or we're doing passion fruit or we're doing a mix. And there's, there's always a different flavor. And I think one thing about the sours is you've always struck a really nice balance on the sour. Maybe it's not quite as sour as I want it, but very few times do I go in and say, oh, you know, that's not really balanced. Well, thank you. You know, like that's something we, we aim for is balance is a key because the beer needs to have balance. It can't be just one thing. Beer is very complex. And at the end of the day, it's very complex and it's very simple. But it, but it has to have that. It has to have that experience to it. It can't be just like, wow, bam in your face. This is one aspect of the beer. Um so so we try to have we try to have some great balance and uh glad glad you said that. So I think what we're gonna do, I think we cover what the general offerings are, and then most of the IPAs, of course you do the I've seen, had your uh, Vermont style and your juicy, you know, juicy moderns, mm-hmm. but your basics are classic IPAs. Yeah, you know, I mean we West do Coast little, IPAs, really. We do the uh you know, the whoop ass is a little bit more of a West Coast kind of double IPA. It's got got some East Coast balance to it. Sure. Um, uh, the IPA we we call it a traditional East Coast IPA, um, and, and you know we still we still people love it. You know, and um, you know the Kick Ass is just a crazy triple IPA. We try to just you know go a little bit to extreme with that one, um, but yeah, I mean they're they're gonna be consistent and they're gonna have the quality and they're gonna be something that. You can drink. I mean, people pick up the whoop ass all the time. And are like, "Oh my god, this isn't. This is like got a great grapefruit, citrus forward kind of experience." But like, you're telling me this is nine percent? There's oh, no yeah. way this is nine percent. I'm like, "Yeah, it's nine percent." And uh, like, I can sit down and drink like three of these. I was like, "Well, good luck with that. It might whoop your ass." <laughs> but you know, and it's so funny because people will come in and they're like, "Oh my god, that beer, yeah." I thought I could drink three of them, and I was like, well, you, maybe you shouldn't have, but well done. I appreciate it. You know? Yeah, appreciate it, so feel yeah. free to call an Uber. Yeah, exactly. Find your exactly. Way home. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take our break. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the history of rock, and we'll be right back. No ad here in the middle today. Just wanted to say, hope everybody had a great summer, and it's podcast season again here at the Food About Town studio, so... Stay tuned for more. And we're back with Chris Pinelli of Rock Brewing, located at 56 South Union Street, just south of East Ave, right in the heart of Rochester. Oh, yeah. Doesn't that sound nice? Yeah, it does. That really does. (laughs) So during the break, as usual, we got into some interesting conversations, Um, but one of which is being how people sometimes can get surprised trying new things. And I know recently I've had a few cocktails at places where I just said, hey, just give me whatever you want. And it was the kind of thing where I never would have ordered it, but damn if it wasn't delicious. Uh, I talked about one with my buddy Chris Clemens not that long ago. We were out in Medina, and I had a Tom and Jerry, a classic Buffalo thing, apparently. Maybe it's, I'm sure it has European roots, but very popular in Buffalo. You know, a sweet, heavy cocktail. I never would have ordered it. It was damn delicious. But that's happened to me with beer as well, and especially now that I'm, you know, as you get older, as you try different things, your tastes change. You want different things. Um, uh, last night, um, my uh, buddy Adam Solomon from Joe Bean stopped over. We were watching some wrestling. Um, and Very nice. 
and we had he had brought over some you know some quality beers, and he brought over a an older stone Brett IPA, ah. and a very interesting beer. A very interesting beer. Not one I was expecting necessarily to enjoy. I'm not sure I enjoyed it, but the experience was very was very interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean, and and that's the thing with beer. Beer is an experience. It, yeah. It, there are memories you can have with beer and experiences that really make them. Uh, it, it, it's one of those things where even opening up a, a Boston Lager or a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, you know, I remember getting back into craft beer when I drink those beers and and how they helped change and create this industry. You know, for me, history is a big thing. I'm a, I'm a, a, a little bit of history buff. I love it. That That's kind of some of my passion to it. And to look back at our industry and forget like how important some of these breweries have been to really creating this scene and giving us the opportunity to do crazy beers, to do things that, you know, Cascade hops came out of the fact that they were style created by the big breweries that never used them. And they were the only thing available. And that's where, you know, some of these great pale ales came out of in the early days because, that was it. That was the only hop you had, and and now people are like, oh, Cascade hops. Mm. <laughs> and you're like, no, like it's still great. It's still a great hop. You know, granted, yeah. you shouldn't pay crazy prices for it. You get it on cheap sure. prices, tons of it. But like, it's not a bad hop, and, and and people, you know, think that you have to have all of these super new, fancy, fun hops to be the only one to make great beer, and that's not true. One, I think the interesting thing too is sometimes it's. You know, using different expressions. So using what is now a modern technique and applying some of those same hops to it and not to not to buzz market other local breweries, but I've had other, you know, some beers around town where people took those hops, not just as bittering hops, but treated them the same as some of the other ones. Yeah. And, you know, doing dry hopping with those things, mm-hmm. trying to bring out those flavors. And man, if it's not super successful, but it's opening up your mind to those different possibilities of how do you use these ingredients in a different way instead of just doing the same thing forever. Right. How do, how do you use those ingredients better? Right. You know, we do the uh, pale ale series that we have, and uh, we keep the same base pale ale, uh, but we change the hops, and, and we use a single hop in it. And the experience of that hop and, and getting to know that hop People love that stuff, and, and it's really cool, and it, it, it broadens your palate. And who knows? You, you try different things and see what happens. That's what craft beer is. I mean, we are an experiment. It's 40 years old. The industry started 40 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, I've had some weird reflections on that of late concerning the fact that, you know, I've been home be- between home brewing and open coming up on like 10 years now. Right in the industry, and that's really weird to me. And uh, to think that we're a quarter of the industry when the reality is we're all still so young, we're still trying to figure this out. And uh, we've made some great waves and we've done some great things, but there's still a lot of work to do. And there's still uh, a very big, broad industry that you know we need to embrace. There's there's more to craft beer. There's more to beer than just craft beer. And there's a lot of people out there who are not in craft beer, but could easily tomorrow be. And how do you reach them? And how do you touch them? And how do you give them the experience that says, 
all right, I'm going to move into this. I want to experience this. And I'm not intimidated by it either. Yeah. So I don't want to get into your history, but I think I want to take that point for a second because, um, you know, here in Rochester, we have a abundance of beer nerds and beer geeks around. And I think that point that you're bringing up about appealing to, you know, having those entry points for people to get into craft beer is, I think, such a critical part of growing that market still here in Rochester and elsewhere is being being approachable to people. And I know sometimes, you know, when you're so deep into it, it's easy to forget about how did you get into this? Like when you mentioned, you know, Sierra Nevada, when you mentioned, you know, Boston Lager, how, how did people get into beer? How did people move on to craft? How did they open their minds to it? It's a very interesting conundrum because you do need those people to keep healthy here yes. in this business. You can't depend just on the beer nerds because they're defined by newest and newest and newest all right. the time. Right. And, you know, and the beer nerd culture or the Instagram culture or whatever the culture is, right? Craft beer isn't defined by those people, but they're, they're important, right? There, there needs to be trailblazers because if there weren't, then the industry would have never sparked. But now we're in a point where you're talking about a beer industry that loses 2% annually overall. So craft beer in the last three years has only grown 6, 5, and 5%. So we went from 18 down to 6, 5, and 5. So it's slowing down, but but that's a broader economic concept there too, where you know the overall industry of everything is, is kind of in a weird flux. But if you look at beer... For 12 plus years, 2% every single year gone, erased. Yeah. You know, we want to see this industry grow, and we're at 12% right now of the craft beer market of a $100 billion industry. How do you approach? How do you, how do you give that person who, you know, they've never experienced craft beer and want to approach craft beer? You, it, you can't just toss the craziest beer at them, but just... To give them an opportunity, too, where they're not feeling like, oh, you're putting down my bud, my Coors, my Miller, right? You're, I'm too good for you. You know, you got you to gotta give them an opportunity to say, oh, hey, you like that? Why don't you try this? You might like this Jack Abbey's Pilsner or Rock Brewing Pilsner or, you know, Swiftwater beer. You yeah. might love that beer. And they might say, well, oh, I, I like that. Well, what's what else is new? You know, it's interesting. There's a couple articles coming out now that IPA drinkers, majority of them, especially the new crazy chase, the hazy juicy, they're coming from the far left of the I only drink, like say far right, I'm I'm a crazy beer nerd. Far left, I'm the I just drink Bud Coors Miller. Mm-hmm. They're coming from right here, that left, that far left side. They're jumping in. They're trying IPAs because they've heard and they've known for years that our industry has built a reputation that's quality, consistency, and IPAs are the best in that. And so you're seeing a lot of that. And, you know, it, it's definitely interesting. Women love the hazy, juicy IPAs. That's another big thing. Diversity is going to be key. That's going to be the next big thing because if we continue to look at the craft beer market and say it's this model of I go to a brew fest and I see a bunch of uh, flannels. Me, me and yous. Big beards, right? Yeah. 
guys, well, then, you know, at some point that's going to that's that's got to change because there are a lot of great women in craft beer. Absolutely. Uh, Ashley, our, our assistant brewer, is phenomenal. And she interacts and creates a community here like no one else. She has done a ton for um, our couple of different events. She's helped coordinate uh, Women in Beer uh, event two years in a row now. She has done our, uh, we did a secret Santa between the local breweries this year. Ashley, Ashley pulled it all together, you know. Um, she's helping build our community and bringing us together uh, and makes amazing beer. And we need to look around and say, that's awesome. We want more women in craft beer. We want more diverse groups coming in and saying, I want to experience this. Like, I don't want to feel that I'm out on the edge because it adds more. It adds to this community that is a fun, awesome community. You get a bunch of brewers in the room. Man, we love each other. We, yeah. I see at least one to two different brewers a week in the brewery, and it means the world to me. And I reach out to them constantly for stuff. And you, you got to have that because we're little tiny guys. That's the end of the day. We're little tiny groups of breweries trying to compete against major major conglomerate that's the thing even like it's weird to say like you know hey the biggest you know the biggest local breweries excepting genesee of course are three heads and they're tiny compared to anything major yeah they're it, it, absolutely tiny yeah, Roarbox and three heads they are the biggest breweries in rochester and they're tiny yeah. they're not even in the regional brewery status yeah but that that's that's our those are our biggest players when it comes mm-hmm. to volume yeah. here in town. And everybody else plays in that same general range, you know, ranging from that, you know, one and a half barrel system up to about thirty. Yeah. That's where everybody lies here in town. Yeah. And your production. And we're talking we're talking anywhere from a thousand like most of us are in the five hundred to three thousand barrels a year. And then you're talking the outliers being Roarbox and Three Heads are a little bit closer. Yeah, they're in like the eight to ten thousand barrels, and they're not even on the blip of some of the bigger. Like to be a regional brewery, you have to be sixty thousand and above. Wow. Yeah, and and so <laughs> but crazy. There's another crazy part is with this lack of, um, you know, brand loyalty being a big thing. If you get to thirty thousand barrels a year, it's really hard to sell. But you probably built a brewery based on 60,000 barrels a year. If you can't sell your 30, how's your 60 going to survive? And at the end of the day, we're starting to see some of that. You know, if you look at like Shipyard, um, Smutty Nose, uh, Green Flash, these are all breweries that that should still be strong and going and are gone. Right. They're gone. You know, Shipyard has restructured and found a way. You know, Genesee is, is a great brewery, but. You know they're going to struggle too as they try to grow into a, a more national brand, and as they diversify, you know their progressive adult beverages have done great for them. But like the end of the day, it's hard to keep those sales going if no one's willing to go. Like I love this brand, and I stick with this brand, and it, it's hard to compete when places like Imbev pick up brands and then they're taking, you know, what used to be a. $12 six pack and turn it into an, a $9 six pack. 
and they're also taking over entire taps where you don't know the difference yep. unless you're a crazy nerd. Right. And you can see that, oh, those 20 taps, yeah. every single one of them is an InBev tap. I got choice. No, you don't. You're still <laughs> drinking. And, you know, no offense to those people who did that, right? No, of course not. Amen, right? To those breweries who Good worked hard enough and, and were able to get that opportunity, that's great. Um, you know, and... There have been some really bad marketing ploys by some of the big guys, and it sucks because they're losing 2% annually, and they don't know how to stop that, and they think by attacking craft beer, they're going to do that. You're not. It's never going away, but if we don't find a way to really support and solidify craft beer and really build upon what is here then you're going to find us in points where there's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some bubbles, bubbles, right? And there doesn't need to be a bubble, We, but they're being created by this constant what's new, what's next. And until we get some more structured like support and consistency, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for some breweries. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's always going to be a challenge with this kind of rapid expansion. And, you know, I don't hope anybody closes, but the reality of the situation is we've had so many We've had so many breweries open. Like, if we call it a bubble or not, I don't really care. But when you grow so fast, there's so many people jumping in when maybe they're not ready. Maybe they haven't done the legwork to be ready to be open. Um, all, all those things happen. And, you know, we're, we're, I think, you know, personally, you know, I think we're going to see some closings. I think we're going to see some of that stuff. I don't want to see it, but I think it's the reality of the situation. Um, I don't know. It's, I, I think it's an interesting, it's a fascinating thing to talk about and a fascinating thing to just observe from a distance. A little easier to observe from a distance than while Much you're easier. brewing beer. <laughs> Very easy. Um, let's let's take a second. Let's let's actually take a step back to when you weren't an owner of a brewery, but you were brewing from home. What was what was your drive to actually start home brewing and how, how old were you when you started? So uh, you know it's it's fun to look back and think about it was 2009 that um, my mother, Patty, bought my friend John and I our first homebrew cat. And we had just graduated college. Like, I would just finish up my MBA. Uh, John was working um, in investment banking. I was looking to try and get into that world. And you look back and it was a totally different market. There were 1200 breweries in the market and you know, we got this homebrew kit and that's it nationally, was, by the that way, that was nationally. Yes. That was nationally. Um, it versus the 7,000 today. And it was a great industry, but it also was a weird time, right? We have both graduated. He was economics. I was economics. And with my MBA and you know, stock markets, collapsing the financial world is in a complete mess housing bubble uh the job market wasn't great we both had jobs we had good jobs and at the end of the day we looked at what we could do and what we were promised versus what you could make on your own um we were young and we thought, hey, let's do this. There's there's room in this market. And clearly, you know, 7,000 uh, breweries later, there was room. But how much room? And and we were young and naive and started off um, probably a little undercapitalized and just a little inexperienced. 
Well, we had some time. We had some time to play with things. Nowadays, you don't. You, there's a brewery opening up every couple of days in New York State. Yeah. You know, New York State now has 450 plus breweries. Right. You're there are people who are calling for, you know, trying to get the last couple of counties that are holdouts in New York State to get a brewery in there. There's probably not a brewery there for a reason. Right. At this point, if there's a brewery like four blocks up the street, probably not a good place to start your brewery. And not to say that we don't support, I love and support all the local breweries. I'm on the New York State Brewers Association. I'm a big supporter of our industry, but with some caveats that, hey, you know, there isn't room for that many breweries. There isn't that much room because of a lot of what happened in 2008, 2009. You know, there's a lot of interesting studies coming out. Millennials don't drink. Millennials, or they drink across all three um, sectors equally, and they don't spend money. They don't have the money. They don't have the same money they used to. They're not buying houses because they can't afford them because the school debt that they have and the money-making power that they had coming out of school. And right? the avocado toast that they're eating that's right, causing right. them not to buy houses, first and foremost. First and foremost. <laughs> but at the same time, but even more importantly, they also have the belief that like, with the limited amount of money that they have to spend, they're going to be very choosy on how they spend it. And so you know, we started off, and there was a, it was just a different market. And we opened up, and everyone was willing to one, come in and experience a brewery and give them a little time. If you're not opening up today with the best beer in the, in, in the world, don't open up because down the street might be that brewery. Yeah. You know, you get six months of, of hype. And if you haven't exploded by then, you might have missed your opportunity of being that that next big brewery. And so I've I've been to you know over the last you know five years or so, um, I've seen a lot of places open, and I've been to a lot of openings or open within the first few first few months. Mm-hmm. And you walk in, I'm not talking about anywhere specifically, and it's not just one place. So I'm not I'm not just talking about one place, but I've been to places where I've walked through the entire list. And I didn't have a single beer that was like, oh, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Or hey, everything on here is just so pinpoint pinpointly perfectly executed. Right. right. You know what? That's that's kind of a staggering thing when you like look at the investment that they put into these places. Right. And you opened without anything that was exciting or anything that was like, oh wow. Like there should be one thing on there that makes somebody that comes in like, oh wow, we gotta come back here. We right. gotta be here again. And it's not just one or two places I've been to that did that. Yeah. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot of places. And I can say that about restaurants too. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, look at the restaurant industry, right? Of them, eighty five percent fail in the first five years. You're gonna see that with breweries. And and it's it hasn't happened yet, but there is a reckoning coming that that this industry can only be split so far. Yeah. It, it really can be. And you want to see people succeed, but it's going to cost you a lot more than you think. And it's going to leave us where we're going to be a little vulnerable of the quality and choices that we, we have available to us. Um, because the big guys still have all the money. And they're here and they're aggressive 
and they know how to play this industry. And yeah. there's a lot, a lot of learning that happens between opening the doors, hype, and even then, like there's some major hype breweries. What happens the day that those lines aren't there? When the investment you put in, what happens? And don't get me wrong, if tomorrow that happens for us, amen. Like, thank you for all of our customers and fans. We of really course. appreciate you guys and we love you and and we want you there and we would love that opportunity. But um, you know, it comes with a risk. It really does. And and we don't, you know, we don't know. We don't know what the future's gonna bring. Yeah, because I mean you you look at just just time, just time changes everything. Oh yeah. I mean, look at not to say that they're doing poorly, but think about like when I started, when I started in and around craft beer, you know, somebody gave me a heavy topper right after I started drinking. This was like perfect five years ago. Yeah. Um, so I started at 30, right? And I had I had a heavy topper and it was amazing. I loved it. People would people drive seven hours to go get it. Wait in line for three hours, drive seven, wait three, and then drive back. Yeah. And people would, you know, run over their grandmother on the street to go get to get a four pack of it. And now if you have it in cans, people don't drive five minutes across town yeah. to go get one. Yeah. Some people are offended that you're like, oh, that's all you got. And it's a great beer. It's like astonishing. it never wasn't you know, and it's funny is uh if you're in the industry long enough, every beer you ever really want shows up. It shows up, right? And and there isn't a beer that I haven't wanted to experience that hasn't shown up or or been available to me right but um yeah i mean they put a ton of money in and what they were trying to do was give their customers more accessibility to it and people turned on them for it yeah and people you know said like mm, it's not the same it, it it's the same beer Trust me, it's the same beer. Uh, they work very hard, and it's a lot of science behind it to make sure that you consistently get the same quality beer. Um, but just because you can have it doesn't make it a bad beer. No. Right? It's still borderline perfect. Yeah. In just about every way that kind yeah. of beer should be made. Right. And when somebody makes one that's like it, I'm like, oh, my God. you just It's still one of my favorite yeah. styles, and it's so specific. Yeah. You captured that identity of, hey, we're making our beer. For yeah. our people. Yeah. And, and people say they're not even New England style anymore, right? They're, they created that supposed yeah. uh, experience. They were the seed. Yeah. Or Green Flash. There's another perfect example. They were exploding, exploding before the Hazy IPA came out. And, you know, you they put a huge expansion in to the East Coast. And before it could even open its doors... They had lost that market share that closed them and put them out of business completely. And people say, well, whatever. They you know, that's what happens. That's that's fine to a point, but if that starts happening to the top, if you looked last year, the top 25, 25 of the top 50 breweries had negative to flat growth. And yeah, people can be whatever they want about that in the sense, well, you know, they're just they're the same old thing. This is the new model. Well, they pay the majority of the legislation funding that we do for the BA. They are the big contributors. Without them, they protect all your tap rooms. They protect all your distribution. They protect all the growth. And they keep AB at a bay. You know, right. they are the ones who have paved the way that help create the opportunities for all the new guys. 
Well, and look at just in New York State. I mean, because of how Kraft has, you know, positioned itself, you know, now there's, you know, for the pluses and minuses of the farm brewing bill, mm-hmm. it facilitated the opening of a great many breweries. Oh, yeah. In New York State. 200 plus just from the Farm Brewer Act. And don't get me wrong, Farm Brewers Act is great. But of those 250 plus breweries, most of them aren't, there aren't but 10 that are doing 10,000 barrels a year. Right. But if they didn't have what, what Dave Kataleski at Empire did to create the New York State Brewers Association, uh, Fred Matt at uh, FX Matt Brewing Company has done, Chris Erickson of uh, Lake Placid, you know, I'm on the board with these guys. They've worked so hard. Rich Vandenberg from Greenport, they have changed this industry. And it's an honor to work with them and be on that board. And, you know, there's some days I'm like, oh, my God, I'm terrified because there's so much that you learn that you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. But, um, you know, we've done so much. And at the same time, like, a lot of what we do is in the background. It's the keeping the retailers happy because they're seeing us as a threat as the overall industry and experience for retail changes. Wholesalers want to work with us, but at the same time are worried that, um, you know, as things change, what is their role? What, what happens when it used to be thousands of distributors, a few breweries. Now there's thousands of breweries and a few distributors and, and what's the best model for them. And, and, it, it, it's a it's a very dynamic industry, and you look at even SLA law. It's they work with us, and they're the best. New York State has done so much to make sure that we all work together, but they're even struggling with eighty year old laws. And how do you interpret them for a modern craft industry that, in many minds, should have never existed? Right, because there was just no model to make that work. Yeah. And now we're here, and we got to make it work, and we work together and do our best. Well, I think what we're going to do, we are <laughs> going to wrap up for today, um, and I hope we can have more conversation about this because I think there's still a ton more to talk about. I think it's it's a topic I'm endlessly interested in because there's, I think we're at that inflection point right now where everything's changing, and there's there's more people wanting to talk craft beer than ever. So I hope we can have some more conversations about it. But in the meantime. You should go to 56 Union Street, check out Rock Brewing in person, right on the right on the precipice of the new neighborhood of play. Um, and um, I think soon enough you'll be able to see, you'll have Rock Brewing in stores is again? Yep, we're back in a number of stores. Beautiful. We're on a number of new accounts, uh, really work, working hard to grow again, and... Uh, we're excited, so I'd love to be back and talk to you some more and anything anything we can do to promote this industry. Sounds great, Chris. Thanks so much for coming over. Thanks for having me. See you.